So every time uh, we pray the Lord's Prayer, there's that awkward bit in the middle, right? We are preaching along and everything seems to be going normally and then everyone in the room has to really quickly and simultaneously decide, are we saying deaths or sins or trespasses, right? Um, you probably had that moment where you're, you're at a new church and like, I don't, I don't know which one is the right one. And uh, so it's, it's one of those reasons that I kind, of, I kind of smile and wink at ourselves as churches and as leaders because I've actually heard you know, deep theological discussions about which one is right and why some are better than the others. And I just feel like maybe I was just missing the point just a little bit. Because the point was not the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, hey, we need a perfect prayer. They said, hey, teach us to pray. Because as a pastor, I sometimes get asked to, you know, come and to speak at something or, you know, and then I have to think, okay, well, am I going to pray to open? Am I going to, am I going to trust myself in the moment that I'm going to say and pray something that is right? Or, or do I prepare? How do I write it down? How do I, how do I craft the perfect prayer? And so there was one, one time in particular that I, I did, in this instance, write something ahead of time, and I read it, because I'd been asked to, uh, to give the opening convocation, the opening prayer for the state senate. Um, and so I was thinking, well, this is, this is really important. I need to, you know, and I was kind of overthinking it. And then the, the time came, and I'm sitting there on the senate floor with and Melanie and my daughter, only the one at the time. And all of a sudden, they're like, oh, you should bring up your daughter, too. And I'm thinking, this could go bad in so many different ways. <laughs> right? Because at the time, she was like a one and a half or something like that. And it's televised. And like Dale Zorn, the state senator, he put it up on his Facebook page afterward. And I'm thinking, and here's my 18-month-ish old daughter. And I'm thinking, this could be terrible. <laughs> but instead, you know, it, it went well enough. You can look at the YouTube video because I don't remember what I prayed. But it got me thinking, like, okay, so if you can imagine that the disciples come to Jesus and they essentially say, hey, we need an example. Can you give us an example of the type of prayer we're supposed to pray? And whether they fully realized it or not, we have here the disciples of Christ coming to the incarnate eternal God of the universe who authored and created all things and sustains all things by his will. And they're saying, hey, when I talk to you, how should I talk? Jesus gives a shorter prayer in response to that question. The eternal God of the universe gives, it fits in like a little tiny little paragraph with really short lines as an answer to how to pray. I don't think we appropriately let that sink in. We haven't done it in a while, but there was one time where Kirsten could recite most of the Lord's Prayer. She could remember most of it, and at the time she was like two. It's not long, it's not hard, it's not difficult, and yet that's the example that God gave for how to pray. And it's not flowery language, like you look at it. Father, hallowed be your name, period. Five words. Your kingdom come, period. Three words. Give us each day our daily bread. And now we're getting complicated. That's a seven-word long sentence. 
You know what I mean? Like, so you look through this. It's not this flowery, elaborate language. It's not, it's not crazy complicated. It's simple requests. We want your kingdom to come on earth. We want our daily bread so we don't starve. We need what we need. We want to be forgiven. We want to be the people who forgive others. And if possible, we would really love to avoid trials. Amen. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk about two people in my life that you might maybe have met them. They live nearby, and we do podcast these sermons, so I'm going to leave the relative's name vaguely, whatever. But I have a relative of mine who has what I call her prayer voice, right? You know, you're talking to her, and everything's normal. And I don't think it's an affectation. I don't think it's because of pride. I don't think there's anything wrong with it at all. But somehow, somewhere along the line in her head, there was just a different way you talk when you pray. You know, and suddenly I, I'm talking Elizabethan English, these and thys, and like her tone of voice changes and gets softer. You know, like, and it's just this, like, you can tell there's this somewhere along the line, someone had kind of instructed her, hey, when you pray, you need to talk differently. And as a kid, I remember thinking, like, well, why is she talking weird? Like, what, what's, the, like we just, what, what's going on? Like, I didn't understand at the time. And now I get it. Like, I think we sometimes psych ourselves out of talking to God and praying to God the way that Jesus told us to pray. And instead, we end up trying to find the perfect word, the perfect way of saying, you know, we have to say, oh, Heavenly Father, every three seconds. You notice, like, Jesus at the beginning of the prayer, but then doesn't really readdress God the way we tend to. We have these patterns that we've kind of built into it and we kind of like have these railroad tracks in our head and we can't really deviate. I once heard a sermon series that went on for a couple months where the pastor decided to preach through the Lord's Prayer. And I kid you not, it was every word we stopped. You know, like our Let's talk about the communal nature of the church. Father, let's talk about the relationship, like seriously, word by word, and like digging super deep into it. And it was fascinating. I appreciate what I learned during that sermon series. That was nice. But there's also, again, that underlying message that when you pray, every word needs to be significant. It needs to have weight. It needs to be gravitas. You know what I mean? Like... It's a lot of pressure. Sometimes you just want to pray. Sometimes you just need help. Sometimes you're scared. Sometimes you need peace. Sometimes your kid's in the process of dunking an inkwell onto the floor and you're just freaking out because now your carpet's stained. God help me not to do something I'm going to regret and injure someone. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you need those kind of prayers and you feel like those prayers are like lower than or lesser than. And so then we come to church on Sunday, we're like, okay, now, now we pray. These are the real prayers. I've had time to think about these. These are good. You know, person two pews back from me, they're going to be impressed by this one. This one is, this one's solid. You know what I mean? Like we, but like, even if you pretend not to play those games in your head, you still kind of play those games in your head, right? Like you get done praying and you're like, man, that was a, that was a good one. I feel like, you know, I did okay. Or you finish and you're like, wow, I think I repeated myself like four times. And I think I mispronounced Jesus' name. It came out as like, 
I don't know, Jesus instead of Jesus. Like, it sounded a little weird. I don't know. Like, you kind of do that, right? Because it's our habit. When you're talking in front of people, you get all nervous. When you're praying, it's like, well, now I'm spiritually nervous. You know, like, and we get in our own heads. And we forget to listen and ask. I think the most significant thing about the Lord's Prayer, as recorded by the disciples of Matthew and John and the authors of the Gospels and their disciples that came after, the most significant thing about it is that it's simple. The eternal, immortal God of the universe gave a simple example when asked to teach him how to pray. Let's not overthink it. And then he kind of clarified. He told two stories afterward, right? He said, hey, imagine it's midnight. You're asleep. Kids are in bed. You hear a knock on the front door and your neighbor needs some bread. Raise your hand if you're happy right now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you're in bed. Your kids are asleep. Everything's done. And your neighbor didn't prepare enough for their house guests. And so they knock on your door. Right? Now, what's left unsaid here is that in, in ancient Near East culture, hospitality was a huge deal. Failing to be hospitable to guests who are visiting your town or your city or your house was like the epitome of shameful behavior. How dare you not share with someone who's in need who's visiting? Like, hospitality was just assumed. All decent human beings will take care of people. Right? That, that is actually the sin that is listed that Sodom and Gomorrah did not do that got them destroyed. They were not hospitable. They did not take care of the visitors. And so Jesus says, okay, so imagine you've got this guy who is willing to put up with the shame incurred by saying no. And he's willing to say, no, I'm not going to get up. I'm in bed. My kids are with me. How dare you ask me for bread at midnight? But if you keep knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking, your neighbor's going to get out of bed. And he's going to come. He's going to get you some bread. And you're going to be able to do what you need to do to take care of that visitor who came to you in the middle of the night. In the same way, how much more do you think God will answer your prayers if you persist? Right? There's a couple assumptions there. One assumption is that we can change God's mind by praying. You want to process that for a second? By praying and being persistent, you can convince God to partner with you in doing good things. I'm kind of out of words for describing how crazy impressed or maybe even a little scared of that I am. Like when I pray, I can say, God, this is what I need. Hey, God, I need you to take care of this. Hey, God, I have friends at work who are picking up extra shifts because they're worried about paying the rent next month. And God, if I'm persistent in praying for my friends, I may move God to action. Now I gotta pray. Right? And that, that's what God is asking us to do. He's asking us to be persistent in prayer. 
And he goes on to clarify. He's like, hey, look, you know, I, I get that some of y'all are bad parents. Some of you are, are evil people, is the word he uses. And yet, even if you're an evil person, even if you're not the best parent, if your kid asks for a fish, are you going to give him a scorpion? Like, this is the height of hyperbole here, right? Like, you know, who, which one of us has ever given our child a poisonous animal to play with? Right? Like, nobody. Of course, nobody does that. Nobody gives a dangerous, awful, horrible thing when their kid just needs some food. Nobody gives them a poisonous snake when they ask for an egg. Like, we just don't do that. And if as awful as we are sometimes, and as down on ourselves as we feel sometimes, if even we don't do that, how much more do you think God is ready and exciting and waiting to give good gifts to his children when they ask? You know, like, I'm not, I'm not about to preach the prosperity gospel and say, hey, you can be millionaires, because that's just not the way it works. Please don't hear that. But if you're in trouble, or you need wisdom, or you need strength, or you just need perseverance to survive the day, and you say, God, I need help. You are good. I am not. I need to be more like you right now. I need to have enough goodness and enough strength to survive today. Can you help me out? That's the kind of prayer that I can imagine God gets really excited. Be like, all right, yeah, we can do this together. Let's go. I can help with that. Be simple. Be persistent. And don't be afraid. Know that God is waiting to help. Sometimes we just need to pay attention and listen and ask. And so about a year ago, a year and a half ago now, we started doing communion every week at church, which for some of you is an adjustment. I apologize. We kind of snuck it up on you. I don't know if any of you noticed we did this, but we started doing it on holidays. And then we started doing it first, month, first week of the month and holidays. And then we started saying, well, it's Lent. We can do it all during Lent. Well, it's, it's Advent. We'll do it all the way through Advent and, and then every month and then every major church holiday. Oh, it's Transfiguration Sunday. we got to do communion. And then during Lent last year, we just kind of didn't stop having it. And we didn't tell anyone. The reason we kind of eased into that was to kind of build into the practice on Sunday morning of saying, hey, we're going to come. We're going to remember the sacrifice of Christ. We're going to remember the love of God and what he gave to us. And yeah, we want to do that every week. So whether you have something that you're waiting to ask God this morning, or whether you have something that you were afraid to ask because you didn't know how to put the right words to it, this is the table. This is the celebration of a God who sacrificed himself to love us well. So I, I pray that that would be how we come to the table today.